Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful Parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 96. Today, we're talking to John Roman about becoming a front row dad. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you are thriving, when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate self-awareness in their daily lives to take family and life to a new level of peace and cooperation. I've been practicing yoga and mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and I'm the mom of two girls, ages 7 and 10. Thank you so much for being here today, my friend. I'm so glad you're here. If you are new to the Mindful Mama podcast, welcome. So glad you're here. I hope you enjoy this interview. We have some interviews and some solo podcasts here And I have my recurring guests coming back once a month that you'll hear pretty soon, I'm sure. So today I'm super excited to have you listen to this great conversation with John Roman. And he is the, he is, he's incredible. He's incredibly inspiring. And he made me cry a little bit. He inspires others to live life in the front row by teaching the art of moment making. He's an award-winning speaker, a number one best-selling author of The Front Row Factor, podcast host, and founder of Front Row Foundation, a charity creating front row experiences for individuals who have brave life-threatening illnesses. And this was a really powerful conversation for me, and I think that you'll really enjoy it. Some of 
the questions and, and the things we talked about are, you know, about the power of hope, the power of celebration, talking about living in the moment. And we talked about a lot of his fatherhood work and transitioning into being focused on business to focus on father, fatherhood. And we even talk about anger and how to take care of anger. This was a really powerful episode, so I know that you will get a lot out of it. And before we dive in real quick, I want to just let you know that I am, it's the end of the year. If you're listening in real time, it's the end of the year 2017. And I am currently taking applications for my group coaching program, the Mindful Mama Transformation Group. This is only for six women. So if you're interested in that, you can find it at mindfulmamamentor slash group coaching. And I am completely booked up in my one-on-one coaching practice. So it's kind of going over to wait list, but we will be starting again in January. And if you are interested in booking a clarity call now, which is a complimentary half-hour call where we get to talk. If you book that call now, then we can lock in the 2017 prices. So I invite you to check that out over at mindfulmamamentor.com slash work with me. And now on to this episode. John, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so glad that you could be here today. Hey, this is a this is a great moment. I'm excited. Yay, yay. So I have already introduced you and we learned we you know as the the person behind the front row, you know, foundation. So tell us a little bit more about what that is for the listener who has no idea what what is the front row foundation and what do you do with that? Now, see, that's a dangerous question for me. <laughs> I like to talk, and uh, this is my passion. So, uh, but I'll I'll attempt to share with you the short version, and then you can you can take us anywhere you want to go. Front Row Foundation is a charity that we started, uh, meaning myself and some friends in Philadelphia, just uh, just on the outskirts, a little town called Blackwood, New Jersey, and we started this in 2005 to help kids and adults who have a life threatening illness to get a front row experience at the event of their dreams. So this was sporting events, concerts, uh, Broadway, or any type of live performance. And then we wanted to create a community after that where they could uh, learn the life skills needed to live every day in the front row, like mindfulness. And uh, we wanted to be a little bit of a mixture between Make-A-Wish and Tony Robbins. <laughs> that was kind of my space. I, you know, I spent a lot of time in the Tony Robbins world and I was a senior leader on his team and I, I loved those skills. They changed my life. And then I was exposed to this community over here with the charity and I thought, why don't we just merge those two? We, that hadn't been done before. And why don't we create this, what we call now our front row family? Uh, and so this is, it's a wish granting organization with a life philosophy. And that philosophy is about being in the front row of your life. And the front row of life is just a metaphor for getting close to the things that matter most to you, getting close to the people, getting getting close to the places and the thoughts and the things that light us up and make us come alive, just like why we choose to go sit front row and uh, at our favorite events, because they make us come alive. And, uh, you know, those are moments that we cherish. Those are experiences that we cherish. And I think we can live life kind of in the back, kind of as a spectator checked out of the event of our life, 
or we can step up and get close to what matters most. And that's what we want to help people do. We want to help people be in the front row of their life. We want to help people be moment makers because we all have this certain number of moments in our lives. And our job is to make the most of them. You know, we didn't do anything to earn or deserve this day. I mean, even if we wear our seatbelt and eat healthy and take care of ourselves, take care of our kids, uh, these days are gifts that we get. And our, our goal is to maximize the moments. You know, in our dad's community, we always say that when, when, when your child's born until they're 18, you have 936 weekends, uh, roughly. And so in every one that goes by that you'll never get that back. So that's what we do. That's the mission. And so now I write about it, speak about it, run the charity, do the podcast, and that's the world. Wow. Wow. That's so cool. So can you share uh, a story of somebody who has, ha you know, a child who has had a life-threatening illness, who has gone, what and what, it, what event they chose, and then what happened to them afterwards? Oh. It's, this is, uh, yeah, I could share a hundred of them. <laughs> um, it's so difficult to pick, but I'll, I'll, let me share one and maybe even a couple because I think there's different lessons from them and I'm sure we'll get to those in the show. But, you know, one that is very early on for me that solidified my passion for what we do here was uh, a little girl that we met who was four. Her name is Sophie and she lived just outside of Philadelphia. A friend of mine was a friend of her family's, uh, her mom, Sophie's mom, Lauren. And he came to me and he said, hey, this little girl, she's so sweet and she's battling for her life. She has this brain tumor. Um, and it's just a really tough situation for, of course, everybody. Not, you know, not only the recipient, uh, the person that's battling it, but everybody uh, you know, um, uh, that, that's uh, involved, the family. And when I first heard that uh, she was a, I said, oh, but my question was, of course, like, well, what, what event would she want to see? And he said, she's a huge Kelly Clarkson fan. Now, I didn't have kids at the time, but I was like, at four, how big of a fan could you really be? <laughs> and we talked to the mom, Lauren, who's now is a close personal friend of ours. And we see them, com communicate with them, talk with them and have for now over a decade. But um, her mom said, my daughter knows all the words to all the songs. If we get in the car and we don't play Kelly Clarkson, she cries until we do. And she is a massive fan. And I was like, we have to do this. So we created this event where we took Sophie and we took her to the Rainforest Cafe in a, in a limousine. And it was her, her sister, brother, her grandparents, um, you know, it was everybody there and our event hosts. And one of the things that was super special was that during the show, Kelly knew we had got word to Kelly. She knew that Sophie was there and found her in the crowd and gave her a little shout out, you know, uh, you know, a little, little point in the crowd to say, I see you. And that was like a magic moment. Yeah. And uh, for Sophie, it could have all been over at that point. But what she didn't know was that our good friend, John Rulin, who has been a moment maker many times over for our charity by opening up doors and offering connections in making introductions, uh, he he set up a meet and greet with Kelly. So we got backstage and we took Sophie back there. And Sophie was so tired. It was late at night, exhausted. You know, she was not, she was fighting for her life at this point too, so keep that in mind. And she was, uh, you know, almost falling asleep in her mother's arms. We thought she was asleep. And then Kelly walks in and goes, hey, y'all. And little Sophie just wakes up, turns around, they lock eyes. And when they lock eyes, we have this picture and that picture Aww. is hanging 
two feet from where I stand right now talking to you and has hung on my wall ever since then for now a decade. Um, and when I look at that picture, uh, I'm reminded of why we do what we do and the power of moments, you know, the power of these little moments. We often say that these, these micro moments lead to mega movements in our lives. And these, these movements, like for me, this has become a passion for life. Um, because you see that impact. You hear somebody say, I was able to forget about cancer for the day. You hear somebody say, I love front row because um, you celebrate uh, life year in and year out for your recipients. And one half of our recipients pass away after their mm -hmm. event. One half go on to make a full recovery, but we celebrate both. Um, we celebrate the life of people, um, whether they're with us or not. And Sophie, um, you know, the, the part that I, I hate talking about um, in this story is that, you know, about a month after her event, you know, that was, that was it for Sophie. We lost her. And, um, you know, one of my best friends now in the world, his name's John Berghoff, his, his wife, Mara Berghoff, they were the event hosts. We send people to take pictures and video and get food and make sure all the details are handled. And, um, John told a story recently that I didn't even know this until a couple years ago. And that is that John went to the funeral after the event. He was invited to the funeral because our, our, we become like family with our recipients. Mm -hmm. And John went to the funeral and he said he walked up and he looked at Sophie laying in the, the casket and she, uh, her mom, Lauren, had laid the VIP pass that got oh. her backstage on Sophie's body. Oh my gosh. And that, that, that image, that memory, that moment, uh, the connection with her family, um, even to this day, I will tell you that I was in South Jersey at a restaurant uh, two years ago, and I walked in and I saw Lauren, Sophie's mom. She was there. And I just happened to be wearing our charity's t-shirt, which had uh, all the names of all the recipients for a decade that we had done. And as soon as I walked in, she saw me. I was wearing the shirt. And she immediately gave me this huge hug. And she's like, I just, my greatest fear was that people would forget about Sophie. And you've helped keep her memory alive. And for that, thank you. And she just gave me a big hug. And she told everybody it was around us about the charity and about how, why her daughter's name was on my shirt. And um, that's, that's a story that comes to mind. And there's, you know, uh, you know, I share that with you. And it's, I, I, I like, I love telling the story and I don't love telling the story for, for the obvious reasons, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, I don't love telling it because it has a, a sad ending, if you will. Um, yeah. I do love telling it because um, I love that we, we've been able to make this connection with the family. Uh, we've been able to serve in a way that feels meaningful, you know, and I think that's the way, that's the way giving works, right? Like I think people often, I've, I've been challenged over the years. They'll say, how do you, how do you create these front row events when like somebody out there is like, uh, can't, doesn't have clean water? And I'd say, if, if you're asking me to compare whether or not I should give somebody a glass of water that doesn't have any to going to a front row event, I, I, can't, I can't tell you that the event is more important than that if you do the direct comparison. What I can tell you is that I love the thought, and it was said by Howard Thurman, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do that because what yeah. the world needs is for people who've come alive. And our piece of the puzzle is this piece. And somebody is supposed to dig the wells for the water. 
Somebody is supposed to fly the planes. Mm-hmm. Somebody is supposed to um, teach in, in schools. Somebody is supposed to be a doctor. Somebody is supposed to be a podcast host. Somebody is supposed to teach mindful mamas. And we're all supposed to play our role. And so that's the role that I play is helping people be moment makers and to celebrate life and to have hope and to have celebration and to be able to live in the moment all the way through. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It is really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, or Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. Oh my God. I My heart, that's an intense, intense, incredible story, John. I mean, that's amazing that you have created this, not only this work for yourself, right, where you get to thrive and you get to come alive and do this work, but that it can impact people in such a huge way. I mean, to make, um, I just feel really choked up that, you know, you get to make these moments for people that, you know that and and for for you to 
And I really appreciate also, <laughs> it's funny, like you guys are, I don't usually cry on the podcast, John. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, let it go. Let it go. It's good. But, um, but it's funny because I do actually mention, like, I'm my my recurring guest Car- Carlo jokes with me a lot that I'm very morbid because I mention death a lot because I think that, and I'm I think that what I'm seeing and also the work that you do and what you're the way you're kind of showing up in the world with this is that this your work is a memento mori every single day. You know, that's what they call it in the art world is a memento mori when there's a reminder of death in a painting or a piece of art. And the reminder of death and the the way, you know, and they also do that in the in spiritual traditions, just reminding us of death is just, I think, is the most powerful way to embrace life, right? To remember that this little stuff that we are worried about is so point, you know, to just remind ourselves again and again and again, because we forget that's natural, but to remind ourselves that this is precious, that this breath is precious, that walking on the earth is a miracle, you know? Um, That's right. Yeah. I, you nailed it. Um, it, it, That is exactly it. And I wrote about this in the book. Uh, I I had, I was actually going to include this in the subtitle of the book in the beginning. I was going to write about how, you know, I was going to include the word death and somehow, some way in the title, because to me, I started this to be a giver and to be a moment maker for other people. But I didn't predict that I would be one of the biggest beneficiaries of this work by being reminded at all times that our days are gifts and that we didn't earn them and we don't deserve them. It is a gift for us um, that is to be cherished. And it wasn't until, you know, all these experiences and all these, um, you know, reminders of how finite our time is here, depending on your beliefs and whether or not there's an afterlife and all that. The point is there's an end to this part, right? To this ride. And that is to be cherished. And because there's a finite amount, it has value more so. Because we acknowledge death, it has more value. The reason that gold is worth something or diamonds is because there's a finite amount. And with with time, you know, I pulled out this this journal one time on an airplane when, when I had young kids and I was getting very aware to the fact that I wasn't in control. And like, if this plane went down, that would be it. Like that would, I would, the ride would be over. And I remember pulling out a journal and thinking about my life. I put a, a little dot on the left side. It said birth on the right side. It said death. And I said, let me just imagine for a moment that I live to be a hundred. And let's say that 80 of those years are great years where I could do anything. Where was I at the moment was at about age 37. And I put a little dot there and I just saw the whole thing. And to me, that was my wake-up call. That was the, the moment where the finite ending or the finite piece of this doesn't terrify me, doesn't paralyze me, it motivates me. That mortality mm-hmm. creates vitality because it reminds me of how much it matters. So I, yeah, it's... It, it truly, it's never easy, right? It's, but I'm always like, go for meaningful, not easy, right? Like yeah. search for meaning, not, not, uh, not what's easy. And yeah. this, is, this is meaningful work. 
That's amazing. And I love it. And, and the t- in your book, which I want people to check out, is called The Front Row Factor, Transform Your Life with the Art of Moment Making. And I think it's on its way to my house. I haven't gotten to see it, but I'm excited because this is kind of a... It is. The team is, is on it. Yes. This is like, I got to talk to you about it beforehand. So that's totally fine. Um, yeah. So you have created this work where you... Uh, to me, it's amazing that you're able to, how, how did the whole front row factor start? Like, how does one create a charity where you're able to, to do this? I mean, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't want to spend our whole conversation on this, but I think it's just, a, I'm just incredibly curious about how, how do you go about starting to do something like that? Luckily, I've practiced this answer, this answer over the years, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I can, I can sum it up pretty well. <laughs> There, there were th- the way it starts is that there were three things that happened in my life at the same time, and these are these are relevant to your listeners, so so everybody can play along here. The first one was when Tony Robbins would ask in our community um, about where you're contributing in the world and how do you feel about that and how would you rate yourself, and it was an evaluation and a vision. Right? For me, I didn't when I was asked the question of how I was contributing to the world, I didn't like the way I felt about that. I didn't felt there was more there for me. So that was, that, was a, 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 that was a question that was seated in my mind. How would I contribute to the world? The second thing that happened, this all happened around in the same period of a few months. Second thing that happened was I went to a Jason Mraz concert in Philly at the Kimmel Center on my birthday. Uh, and it was 2005. And I remember sitting in the back row and I looked to the front row and I saw this group of ladies having the time of their life, right? And I remember looking in the back and I saw people kind of checked out. And then it hit me. I was like, same moment, drastically different experiences. Same moment, drastically different experiences. And I was like, wow, you could really just be a spectator of life, checked out in the back. Or you could be upfront, fully engaged, participating. Mm -hmm. And you are a participant when you're that way. You don't have to be on stage all the time. In fact, that was a a clarification that I had, which is that, you know, we 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 oftentimes hear the get in the game analogy. Nothing wrong with that, right? I'm all about it. I love playing the game. But we we almost put down being on the sidelines. Like, like people will put down the idea when I say you're a participant in the front row. They're like, ah, you're still a you're still a spectator. And I go, ask any band. If they, if they feel like their front row is a participant in the experience, I said, the best fans get the best show. Hell yeah. And I believe that we, we shouldn't go through our life always asking ourselves, how can I play the game? How can I be the star? How can I be the celebrity? How can I trust? I'm a, I'm a professional speaker. I love being on stage. I love being the center of attention. I love being the star, but that doesn't mean that I need to be there all the time. In fact, the front row philosophy is about showing up for other people. It's about lifting others up. It's making somebody else the rock star. It's not, it's not asking yourself always like, who's in your front row cheering you on, which is a great question, but it's also about whose front row are you in? Who are you cheering on? So this was all very clear to me, right? So this, this thought. Then the third thing happened, which is that my buddy challenged me to run an ultra marathon, which was a 52-mile run. And I wasn't a runner. And I remember telling him, no, <laughs> oh I was God. like flat out, heck no. I think I probably <laughs> use some stronger language than that. But I was like, I'm not a runner. I had bad knees. I did gymnastics and karate when I was a kid. Everybody told me I had bad knees and I had this identity that I'm not a runner. But I was also in the place of my life of questioning old limiting beliefs. So I said, I'm in. Now, I don't know 
I don't know what that actually, like, I, I was like, I, I didn't even oh know the God. first thing. I'd never run a half marathon. I'd never run a full <laughs> marathon. And I said yes to a 52 mile marathon. And, and by the way, this was in 16 weeks. Oh my God. <laughs> he wanted to run it in 16 weeks. If you Google running a marathon, it's like, you need like a year to train. So here's what happened. Short story is, uh, the short story in the end is that we did it. We did it. But let me tell you what happened along the way. The magic was along one of our runs, our training runs, it was right around uh, Fairmount Park in Philadelphia that my buddy Jamie and I were talking and we said, we should raise money for a charity. With this run, we should like, that's what you do, right? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? And then we said, wait a minute, what if we started a charity? What would your perfect charity look like? What would you do? And then I said, well, what's our greatest fear and our greatest love? Because if you can tap into that, if you know what that is, what you want to move towards and what you want to move away from, you'll know ever never-ending fuel for your life. And I said, my, my greatest love is moments with friends, experiences where we can tell those stories for life. Mm-hmm. And I want to live a life full and rich of experiences. And my greatest fear is having that cut short. And so I said, um, you know, what if we help people who are fighting for their life to have the best day of their life and then to live the best life imaginable uh, for as many days as they get? And that was the day Front Row Foundation was born. And then from there, I will tell you something that I think is very appealing. People often ask like, how do you start a charity? And I go, starting it is easy. For a thousand bucks on legal Zoom, you can file the paperwork. And in about three months, you're probably going to get a notice that says, guess what? You're a charity. (laughs) Getting to be a charity is a piece of cake. Uh, Actually doing the charity work is a whole other game. And that became a 12-year learning cycle for us. But but I think what's relevant to your audience is this. It's, It's number one is asking, how do you rate yourself on how you're contributing to the world right now? And what do you want that to look like? Right? And then asking yourself, are you a spectator of life in the back? Or are you a participant up front? And are you lifting others up right now? Mm-hmm. And then number three is, what's your greatest fear and what's your greatest love? And it's okay to know what those are. It's okay to know what you don't want and what you do want. Because your not to-do list is as important as your to-do list. And when you get clear about some of those things, I think you start to find your way into, into a life that you love. Mm, wow. Wow. That's an amazing story. I mean, uh, I love that you're doing that. And I, you know, I'm one of these people who I, I never could, like, I, I never, I never had it in me to sort of like conform to, <laughs> to a regular job. And I always had to, to, to do the, like, I always had to do sort of the hard thing. And I don't know, or I had to, I always had to sort of follow my passion. I felt like it was, it was killing me, you know, to do something that, um, that wasn't, that wasn't that. And amazingly, I've been, and with great persistence, I've been able to create a, a, you know, a a livable income and and support my family and things on that, which is amazing. And I'm so thrilled about, but it, and I really do believe that, you know, I, I do believe in that quote, like that the world does need people to come alive and, and do what they want to do. And it's just, um, you know, that, that is such a, a rabbit hole of, of issues that we could go into, sure, about, totally. you know, why, why that is, but, oh, that's amazing. I, I love that, John. I love that you have, you know, 
helped yourself come alive and the, and helped other people come alive with the experience and to have these optimal, amazing experiences where they can be truly present and they can be truly appreciating, you know, these incredible things in life. That's rocks. That rocks. Rock on. <laughs> That's Thank awesome. you. Um, yeah. 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 And, and you have taken this front row fat, foundation and it's it's grown into so many things and it's still supporting uh children and 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 also you've taken it and you've taken these lessons and now you're sharing these lessons with the world that's right awesome yeah we we say when we wrote the book and we were looking and looking and looking for like how do you sum this book up in one sentence like what is that and we struggled for a year to try to do that. And finally it hit us. It was, it was this, it was that this book is everything you can learn about living life from people fighting for it. And mm. that's what it was. We looked back and we were just like, wow, what, what, what did these people teach us? And there's so many of those lessons. In fact, can I, can I share a couple with your audience? Hell yeah. Cause I think this is, this is actually, this is a part when I think about what's super relevant to especially parents, especially mamas, especially mindful mamas and anybody, right? it doesn't matter who you are listening to this. There was, when we looked back and we were looking for the pattern, we were looking for what's working here. We were looking for why is this so powerful? Why is this moving people? And there were, there were three forces at work that we noticed and it wasn't until a decade in that we, we put this together. The first one was the power of hope. And hope is the power of bringing future moments into this one. Mm. So I want to say that again, because I think that's really important, is that hope is the power of bringing future moments into this one. And I'll give you an example of how this worked. So one of our recipients, Thomas K, was a young man from Canada who was an avid rugby player and the picture of health. And very quickly, he was in a wheelchair, uh, losing his eyesight and fighting for his life. It would seem to be overnight. And we knew that Thomas wanted to go see the Rugby World Cup in New Zealand. So we raised the money. We bought the tickets. We unveiled it to him that he was going to be doing this. And he was super excited. But what we found out later was that his family told us that when Thomas went to physical therapy, it was like he was a new man. He had a new mission and he would say that he needed to be able to stand for the national anthem at his game. Mm. So the power of that future moment brought power to his present moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that we can never underestimate the power of hope. And I think it's important for people to also understand that hope, I think, is very different than wishful thinking. Wishful thinking says, I wish things were different. Hope says, I make the difference. Mm. Yeah. So mm -hmm. We saw that, right? We saw that at play. The second thing that we saw, the second force that was at work was celebration. And celebration is the art of using past moments to bring power to this one. So 
to celebrate, we, we, we underestimated what it would be like for our recipients to get their photo books and their albums and to share them with their friends and to relive the memory. We were really focused on the day in the beginning. We didn't see fully the power and the potential of that celebration piece until later. And one of the stories that really, man, got to me like straight to the heart was the story of, of a young man named Mike who was 16 by age, but because of all the challenges that he faced, he was developmentally at about age nine. And he was, he was a super fan of like anything pirates. So pirates of the Caribbean, anything pirates. We found that there was this pirate show in Myrtle beach. It was like the best pirate show that we could find. And Mike had never been on an airplane, which he did with our event. He'd never been in a hotel, which he did for a first. He never saw the ocean, which he did at this event. And it was a day, we'd never ridden in a limo. And he did at this event. It was a day of firsts. And he was so fired up. Like the videos, it's just great. And all these, by the way, are all the stories, all the pictures, all the video. Everything I'm saying is all at our website. Um, frontrowfoundation.org uh, is the site if anybody wants to go look at it. But, but we, what, what the, the most powerful part of this story was what happened afterwards, which is when Mike got home, he was really struggling really fighting for his life. And one of our event directors and also a friend and a former board member and just a wonderful human being, Carrie Smolinski, who lives in Chicago, he's got such a big heart. He went to go see the family in the hospital. Not required. We didn't ask him to. He just knew it was the right thing to do. Went to the hospital, saw the family. And he, he called me and he said, hey man, I, when I walked into the room, I saw Mike there and he was like hooked up to all these tubes like out of every single part of his body. And he was sitting there with his photo album from his front row event. And he was just flipping through the pictures and he was just looking at it. And that's when it hit me that what we do extends beyond the day. This isn't just about giving somebody tickets for an hour to go see a show. This is about affecting their future, their past, and every piece of it. Um, and so, so hope and celebration were really clear. And then what we recognized and it was actually from the words of a recipient. Her name was Melissa Weaver. And we sent her to go see Sarah McLaughlin. And that was a really special show. She was a woman who was a mom and lives in Richmond, Virginia. Sweet, sweet soul. Wonderful human. Um, yeah, the, uh, where she has a mama's group, what they call them. The, uh, something like the, it's like the eight mamas or something. But they, they, they have a mama's group. It's really special. And she said to me, that what Front Row really taught her was how to live in the moment, mm. that she hadn't been doing that, that she wasn't being fully present, that she had spent a lot of her life not being in the moment, and that after her Front Row event, she committed and vowed to be in the moment and to have experiences more in life, and not to chase the things that we think make us happy, but the things that truly bring joy and love into our life. And those are the experiences with people we love. And so what we recognized was that while hope brings future moments right into this one and celebration brings past moments into this one, the whole game is about being present in the moment. So when you talk about mindfulness, like you're mm -hmm. speaking directly to my heart because I think that's the way it's all built. Like my, I've, I, I've, I, I, I have a fascination with mindfulness because I feel like that's the key to not letting life slip by 
unnoticed, unappreciated, uncelebrated, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I feel like that's where it all comes to. So we're just have this swinging pendulum of looking into the future and looking into the past and, and constantly moving in and out of the present moment. And the more that we can find that center place and the more that we can be in the moment, we realize that hope brings presence, celebration brings presence, and it's all about being, being here now for the time that we have. Yeah, this is the only moment that life can be lived is this right. moment, you know. Um, I love that. Hope is um, hope is my um, youngest daughter's middle name. Oh, awesome. <laughs> it's um, so cool. Yeah, that's actually, uh, I grew up in Rhode Island. It happens to be the state motto of Rhode Island. Is, is that right? Yes, you didn't know that, did you? That's cool. Uh, yeah. You learn something every day. Yeah, you do. Um, I love that. Um that these, this is bringing people in the present moment. It's interesting because as you talked about these three, fo- these three forces at work, you know, for me coming from that mindfulness background and say, you know, thinking about, you know, the future and then bringing the past into this one, but you're right. It really is about, um, taking that energy of the past and, and, and excitement of the past and bringing it into this moment. Um, and it, it is about, being present and, and, um, yeah. And, and just that whole idea of like allowing people to, or or coming back to in, you know, being present in the moment and in that appreciation, it's all, it's all in there. It's all in there. That's so cool. So as you did this work and these huge life lessons kind of came to you and these, you know, these big, um, reminders of death and these incredible stories of, of people, um, and you yourself, you're a dad. And this was like one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you for the mindful mama podcast is because you're running, um, retreats for men and, and father's retreats and, um, talking about best practices in fatherhood. And I think this is so exciting because, so I, I teach this, I teach a mindful parenting course and we talk about mindfulness. We talk about skillful communication. And one of the biggest um, challenges people have is that with my partner, you know, how do I, how do I talk to him? How do I let him know that when he's, when he's threatening the kids that this is, this is really harming the relationship? Like, and how, how do I work on myself while my partner is, you know, this kind of thing. And it's, it's really, um, it's really one of the biggest challenges. And I love that you're doing this work with fatherhood. And I'm wondering how you decided to do this and how you decided to do some work with fatherhood in your own life. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not 
my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Yeah. Oh, well, (laughs) it's, it's so fun. The evolution of one's business or mission and how it all comes together. Um, I didn't see this one coming. (laughs) I was, (laughs) I was making a living as a keynote speaker and I was giving 40 plus keynote presentations a year and loved it. And I still do, but just not as many. Um, I just charge more and do less. But what happened was, there's actually a reason why I do less now. And it's actually part of the story. Two years ago, I was at a party and somebody had said, um, hey, what do you do? And I immediately went into like, I'm a speaker, I'm a coach, I run this charity. And then I paused and I cut myself off and I was like, wait a minute. I go, what I do is I'm a, I'm a father and I'm a husband. Now, when I'm not doing that, I happen to be a, a speaker and a coach and run this charity. But it was that shift Mm. that made a huge difference in the way I thought about my life. See, I used to be a businessman with a family. And now I'm a family man with a business. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was like, that was a a turning point moment where I was like, wait a minute, I'm failing in this department. So I started looking at my life a little bit. I started, I went to, I remember opening up within a day of that encounter. I opened up my computer and looking at all my files, right? And I said, oh, I've got a file for Front Row Foundation. I've got a file for taxes. I've got a file for all these things in my life, right? Like book reviews and the next visit, whatever project it was. And I was like, wait a minute, there's no family file. I literally spend days planning our future fundraiser for Front Row Foundation, but I haven't spent days planning our family life. I haven't taken that time. Mm. And I thought that's, that's something's wrong. And if your calendar is a reflection of your values, man, I had invested that year in a speaking course to become a better speaker. I paid like 25,000 bucks to go to this course. I, I went to another conference called Mastermind Talks. And then I went to another conference and I, I did these things. And I was like, well, I'm growing myself over here and I'm growing my business over here, but where's the dad stuff? I'm not doing it. Like, where's the better husband, better dad? Wasn't there. 
So I thought, how do I like to learn? I'd like to learn from, from immersion experiences. I believe in the philosophy and that old quote of, you know, if you ask the woodsman, you know, to chop down these trees, what would his strategy be? He's like, I'd spend the most of the time sharpening the ax, right? And I love that idea of retreating to advance. I, I, I've benefited from it in other, every other area of my life. So I started looking for dad stuff. Now I know guys in the space and I know some dad experts that they do amazing work but they didn't have the retreat that I craved, the size of the retreat, the type of guys. And so I said, I have this skill set. I've done this for years. I'm going to create the event I want to attend. And that's what it was. It was October of 2016. We ran our first retreat. 30 guys came together. And it was mostly kind of entrepreneur, mostly entrepreneurial minded or spirited people. So a lot of, you know, uh, self-employed business owners, coaches, authors, speakers, you know, people in that space, real estate investors. But now we have a lot of different people in the group. We have a neurosurgeon, we have a, uh, you know, a, a psycho, a psychologist, we have all different types of people. We have guys that are retired, uh, all different types of people. But the one thing that's tr- pure about this group, they're true about this group is that there are three things they stand for. And I think this is important too, for your listeners. They stand for uh, brotherhood, creating a community of people that, that are like-minded, like-hearted. We, they believe in shared strategies. So we always talk about best practices you know, in our, in our workshops and uh, the, the cream rises to the top. You know, we vote up best ideas. And then it's all about um, purpose, deepening our sense of purpose as fathers because that purpose pulls us forward, reconnecting to the purpose. And uh, you know, while it's always there, we can lose sight of that. We can lose attachment to that. We can lose our way of why does this matter so much? And so to get that time has been very, very powerful. That's, that's the group and that's what we do. That's so, that's so cool. And so how has this learning um, and, and stuff about fatherhood shifted in your own life and your own experiences with your, yeah. your kids? Well, two things. One is, um, you know, I said, Tatiana, my wife said to me know, months ago, she said, you're, you've been massively impacted by the front row dads, I can tell. You know, like she could see it. Uh, and I had a front row dad call me out, which was great. We had a, a wonderful lunch. He's a friend of mine. And, um, you know, I remember talking to him and saying, hey, what, what makes a great friend? And we were like, oh, we both agreed, honesty, right? Like telling you something that maybe other people don't want to tell you. And I said to my friend, I said, tell me something nobody wants to tell me. And he says, I don't think you spend enough time with your kids. Hmm. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, <it> was, <laughs> really? That's, that's like, a hard thing to hear. <laughs> I pride myself on being an engaged father, but like there was like, I was actually selling myself that I was doing an awesome job. And he had the courage to tell me I wasn't. And I asked myself, what would really stepping up look like? And right about that time, my wife was going, she had a relative in Russia. She's from Siberia. And my wife um, came to me and said, my, my aunt's really sick. I think I need to go, right? Like I need to go now. And I said, it was right in that moment that in the past, I would have been like, oh, we got to figure out the kid thing. And, you know, I'm really nervous about the business and blah, 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 blah. And I just looked at her and I said, totally do it. Take any amount of time you need. I totally got the kids. And she went for two weeks and I had the kids, both boys by myself for two weeks. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was in those two weeks that I learned what that really meant to be an engaged dad. 
I, I, I never would have predicted that I could have had a massive improvement in the relationship with my boys. I never would have told you that. And at the end of the two weeks, I was like, Tatiana needs to leave again at some point for me <laughs> to be fully responsible for these boys from morning, noon, and night. Because not only did I learn to appreciate her more, but I learned to appreciate my boys. I connected with them on a real deep level. We bonded. And it was, it was great. And I, I wouldn't have happened without the Front Row Dads and our conversations and this, this opportunity to really step up because I'm surrounded by, in the group, we have 50 guys and I'm surrounded by 50 amazing dads. Like some of these guys, like they're amazing fathers. And it wasn't until I saw them interacting and, you know, and sharing and telling me what they're doing and uh, that I really got challenged, you know, to up my game because I do have like a healthy competitive side to myself. <laughs> I am, I am influenced by the people around me. I am, I, you know, it's fact. It's so I'm like, this is good. And my wife would say that. And at, you know, one of my best friends is a, a guy named Hal Elrod. He wrote a book called The Miracle. He was Life. on the podcast. Was he really? Earlier. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's awesome. So <laughs> Hal is one of my best friends and um, we have a shared event together in California every year. It's the best year ever blueprint and front row celebration. And um, this year, as you know, Hal fought cancer. Mm -hmm. He had acute mm -hmm. lymphoblastic leukemia. He's our number one donor, a portion of all the Miracle Morning book sales support Front Row Foundation. And he became a recipient this year. Wow. Um, and it was during this time when we were talking at the event about his recipient experience and we were telling the audience about Front Row Dads and how we're, in, you know, how we're all connected. Hal's a Front Row Dad. And his wife, Ursula, grabs the mic and goes, hey, I just got to say something that, uh, you know, I think everybody in here, women, you should send your men to the front row dad's retreat because <laughs> Hal came back a totally different guy, <laughs> uh, a totally different dad. And um, I think that's really cool. When guys can, like, even like Hal, who's literally world famous author, very accomplished guy and a super dad still had room to grow. That's so cool. So I love that. Um, and one thing, one of the things that we talk about a lot in mindful parenting and in the mindful mama community is one of the things that for women is really hard for, uh, for women to talk about and speak about and have a lot of shame about is anger is our anger and how we get triggered at our kids yelling at our kids. And there's really no, um, there's, it's almost like, it's almost you know, it's, it's changing, but it, for many women, it's almost unspeakable. And, and, that, and so we talk about our anger in the mindful parenting group and, and the work that we do. And we talk about our triggers and how to take care of that and how to reduce our re reactivity and things like that. So I'm wondering about in your front row dads group and have you talked about your triggers and your anger and what, what has strategies have you guys come up with that, that have to, you know, if you have to, to take care of your anger? Yeah, th this is a, this is definitely a big one. And mm -hmm. even at our last retreat, um, managing our emotions mm -hmm. was a whole topic around that. Like how, how do we manage our emotions? And I think that's a really, that's a really big topic. And there's yeah. a lot of different, <laughs> there's a lot of strategies around it. There really is. And you could go and the guys have shared tons of ideas. Um, I could literally choose from a hundred. And interestingly, they're all connected and some more obvious than not, right? Because it's almost like when you get to, why is that anger showing up, right? And yeah. 
uh, sometimes it's literally like people aren't sleeping enough and they need more sleep. And when they get more sleep, it solves the problem. They're just not as angry. Sometimes it's literally their diet. You know, they, we've had, we've had discussions around gluten and how that affects people and their, their tolerance and their emotions, you know? Um, so it could be diet related. Certainly if somebody has got a drinking problem or they're drinking too much, or they're eating a lot of sugars and they've got these massive spikes and their body's going crazy, that affects our emotions, right? Absolutely. We talk, we talk about, um, personal care from a, how are you taking care of yourself, uh, by just getting time pulling over the car on the way home and getting 10 minutes, you know, to decompress, having some type of transition routine. I work upstairs in my office and I can be at my children's toes in 32 seconds. So how do I give myself transition time? What does my schedule look like? Um, we talk a lot about the miracle morning because that's Hal's thing and he's part of our group. And we talk about how when I wake up with the kids, it's a bad start right from the get-go mm -hmm. because I'm still trying to get going and they need something right away. But if I wake up an hour before them and I take time and I get a cup of coffee or I stretch or I read a little book or I, I look at my calendar for the day, when my kids all of a sudden wake up and come down, I'm like, hey, buddy, I'm ready for you. Right? Like, there's, I've noticed that just by providing an hour extra in the morning, my anger in the morning was removed completely. Mm -hmm. that, that, was, that, was, that handled it 100%. The other thing that helped, and our dads have talked about this, is when you're out of work, you're really out of work. We think we're good multitaskers, but we're not. And when you, when you get, you get, a lot of times we get frustrated because we're trying to do three things and our kids need our attention. And some of those things are important, you know, and it's just hard being a parent, you know, and that's hard. It's just, you're going to get angry sometimes. Some of those things you could just avoid. Like um, one, of our, one of our guys brought up at our first retreat, which is he goes, we have a gun safe and we don't own a gun. But what we do put in the gun safe as a ceremony every night is the cell phones. So we pull out the gun <laughs> safe. My kids walk over with my cell phone. They put it in the safe. We lock it up and I don't touch it until the next morning. <laughs> That's great. You know, and some people would say, well, I can't do that. And listen, yeah. this doesn't apply to everybody. You have to, you have to use the tools that work for you. But um, reality is that, yeah, you might not be able to do it until you set your life up so that people know that you're not going to be checking your phone. And yeah, they'll text you sometime and something will happen, but they'll eventually learn that you're checked out, that you're with family. Mm -hmm. So I think there's all these different types of strategies that help us to reduce anger. Um, and, and they all work in different ways. You know, they all work for differently for different people. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think sometimes it's also, yeah, I've learned this too. This was a big one for me recently was that whoever's the person who's least triggered is responsible for that conversation. Mm -hmm. So if it, you know, like for me and my wife, as an example, like a lot of times anger isn't about with our, just our kids. It's actually the parents are fighting and then it translates over into the kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, it spills over into the kid conversation or because we've been so tested in our marriage or our relationship that then we have very little to deal and tolerate with our children when they enter the picture. So one of the things that I've learned and has been really helpful for me is that when two people are triggered, the person who is the least triggered <laughs> is now responsible for that conversation, is mm -hmm. responsible to heal that conversation, to be a listener for the other person, 
to put their needs on a shelf, right? I learned this from my counselor, Tess. She's wonderful. And she says, you know, you just, hey, it's not that your needs aren't important. You just put them on a shelf because you're the most conscious person in that moment. Mm -hmm. And your job is to lead versus like sometimes our anger is like, you're not listening to me. You don't hear my point. You're not doing what I'm saying versus a lot of times with anger, if we can like just consciously practice this in advance so that when the time comes, you'll be better at it is to just imagine yourself just taking your, literally like with your hand, like take your needs and your point and your point of view and your, your, all your righteousness and put it on a shelf next to you, right? And say, I'll come back to that. It's valid. It's important. I'll address it, but I'm just not going to address it now because there's nothing I'm going to say when people are angry that's going to settle in. And mm -hmm. what's interesting is that my anger was was handled a lot more with that strategy because I didn't feel the need to make my point all the time. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes anger is when people don't do what we say to do or don't lit, right? And it's like, mm -hmm. we go into a dictatorship mode versus a listening mode. Mm -hmm. And when we listen, we connect. And when we connect, we can then move somebody. Until you match and mirror somebody's energy, connect with them, build a rapport, if they feel heard, witnessed, healed, then you can move them. But whoever's got the higher level of consciousness, whoever's the least triggered, it's their responsibility to move the dialogue. And I think those are some of the things that we've talked about, some of the things we've explored around the topic of anger. I love that of what you said about when we listen, we connect, and when we connect, we can move somebody. And that, uh, and you're absolutely right. The person who is least triggered, and and hopefully, you know, hopefully for us, like as the adults, we can be <laughs> the, the least adult. triggered, right? <laughs> hopefully, totally. you know, and we can then. Uh, that that's a great saying. Put your needs on a shelf. But that idea of, you know when we're in this mode of righteousness, it's like, and, and this idea that, you know, we just want to get, be right. And we just want to fix the other person, or we just want to fix our child. So if they would just do what we said, then everything would be okay. <laughs> but when we listen, we connect. And when we connect, we move somebody. And that's yeah. so true. Like there's a power, there's such a healing power in listening and that's just right. listening provides so much relief. And that's the step. I think we skip so often Correct. with our children is just this idea of acknowledgement say you know he really i hear you i see you like really hearing them really seeing them really acknowledging what's going on for them and just that simple step can just you know like decrease you know you know decompress everything and really reduce all that tension and then we can connect and then we can move somebody and that's that's beautiful i love that you talked about, you know, self-care and that doing one thing at a time. But, but yes, yes, yes. When we listen, we connect. And that listening is very, very powerful. It's great, great stuff. Um, wow. So I love that you're doing this work with dads. I think it's hugely, hugely powerful. And I, you know, I like that with this, the work that you're doing with this friend foundation, you know, I, I was checking out what you're doing and this idea, uh, and you mentioned it a little bit, you know, we talked obviously about mindset and we talked about relationships, but this idea of environment, like you said, you put yourself in the environment of people who help, help you to step up to a greater place, you know, and in your work, you create an environment of people who, you know, have these values and things like that. And, um, 
And I think that environment is kind of like, it's like kind of like, you know, when we eat, we take in the nutriments of the food and we have to think about that the people and the conversations and the, even the, maybe the podcast or the media, the things that we take in, these are also things that we take in and nourish our, ourselves in the same way. And you're kind of speaking to that. I think when you talk about this, this idea of, of environment, right? Yes. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. Yeah, we when we were trying to dissect what was happening for the book, we we found those three focuses I shared earlier, and then we found that there were there are three forces. Sorry, there were three areas of focus then for people. So the three forces of hope, celebration, and living in the moment, and then the three the three pieces, the three factors that allowed them to play this out was relationships, mindset, and environment. Those were the three things. So big piece of it was who's in our front row and whose front row are we in, the relationships in our lives. Um, and we, we teach something about like knowing the eight most important people in your life and what are their dreams and how are you helping them to fulfill those dreams as being mm-hmm. one of the actionable things. Those eight people hang on the wall next to me at all times. And I always know what their dreams are. The second piece about mindset is just how we view any situation, right? And that's that's your world. You're an expert in that space. And um, we, we see it all the time that, listen, you could say wherever you go, there you are. Like if you have a crappy mindset and you're in an awesome environment, sometimes you bring toxicity to that place. Um, and you know you can do that. You can take something toxic, pour it in a beautiful environment. It doesn't work. you know. So you do need to have the mindset piece. Um, and I think that's that's been explored a lot and it's great. And you know, we have recipients that teach us about mindset all the time. I'll, I'll tell you one story that I think is so important on this topic. One of our recipients, Nikki, uh, just recently went to go see a Dallas Cowboys game. She was in her 30s fighting uh, breast cancer. Beautiful person from South Jersey, uh, works at Rowan University, a school that raises money for Front Row Foundation as well. And she was in the limousine and I was with her and she said, hey, we're about to go into a restaurant. She goes, hey, sometimes uh, people look at me when my, you know, my, my blues in my hair and it's, you know, it's turned a different color and maybe I don't look as great as I normally do. People will look at me and they'll almost look at me with like a look of disgust. And she said, um, and she said that and I'm like, my heart kind of sank and I kind of got sad. She said it and I was like, ah, oh, if I could ever get my hand on that person, you know, I was kind of angry. And then she said immediately, and it makes me happy. <laughs> and, and it was like the last thing I was expecting her to say. She goes, it makes me happy. And I said, all right, you got to tell me more. What, what do you mean? She goes, well, John, if, if, they're, if they're pissed or angry or disgusted or whatever at the way I look, that just means they have no context to my situation. They, they've, never, they've never been through this themselves. They've never known somebody they love that's been through this. So I'm happy that they don't, they've never had to experience what I have. Because if they had, they never would have felt that way. Wow. And it was that beautiful framing that reminded me that it's not the moment, it's how we mold the moment, make the moment, give the mm-hmm. moment meaning. And I rem- I'm reminded of that all the time. So it's mindset, right? It's how we view situations. And um, oh, can I share one more story with you and your audience that I think is really... <laughs> 
Yeah, is, that's fine. I realize I kept, kept talked to you a little over time, but no, I'm, it's okay. I'm going to give you, it. I'm going to give you two, I'm going to give you two more and then we can. All right, great. So, so this is so fun. And then just knowing your audience, I got to tell you this. So I was with, you remember earlier, I was talking about Sophie and the two people that took Sophie to the event was John and Mara Burgoff. Well, they're very close friends and we were in Ohio. We were seeing fireworks with them. We had gone to the top of a parking garage and I'll never forget even Mara turning to me and saying, this is front row because the fireworks were literally going off like almost above us. It was amazing. Yes. Now that was a great idea up until the moment when you have to leave the parking garage where thousands of other cars who all parked in that parking garage to see the fireworks are all leaving at the same moment. Uh, And we're at the very top and we were sitting there in a van with five children under the age of five. It's 10 PM. (laughs) They're all melting down. They're all hungry. They all right. Like, and you can, you know exactly what's going on. And then uh, right when the tent, we haven't moved for 30 minutes, not an inch. And, uh, and my, my buddy, John said, you know, I could tell, he could tell the tension was building and he said, let's play a game. And I said, what game is that? He said, let's play a game. This would be worse if. (laughs) (laughs) And the minute that he said it, I started laughing. And then, uh, you know, somebody goes, I'll start. And they said, this would be worse if somebody had, oh no, what'd they say? They said, this would be worse if we ran out of gas. And I, and everybody was like, yeah, that's right. We have a full tank of gas. It's a hundred degrees outside. It's July and we have gas and air conditioning. This is amazing. Right? So that was like, we were all laughing. And then somebody says, Hey, well, I think it was one of the kids. One of the kids might have said, this would be worse if somebody had gas. <laughs> and, and we all busted out laughing and we're like, yes, it would, because these windows are not going to go down so hot outside. So it was just like this moment where it was all tense. And then with one question, with one suggestion, things changed. We changed the mindset of everybody in that car. That's power. And, um, you know, anyway, so I had to mention that about mindset because I thought that was really funny. But then the third piece, and this is my final thought, is about environment, like you said. And that's basically the point that, look, we, we become like our environments. We are, we, we are affected by our environment. You can have a positive attitude in the worst of environments. But let's face it, if you had a choice, you'd want to cultivate an empowering environment. You know, And that's something that's very important. So even when my family moved to Austin, it was three things that were at the top of the list culture, climate, community, those three things. And those all affected our environment. And since we moved, we actually had people say, Hey, John, you know, even the problems that you have, like whatever, wherever you go, there you are, it's not going to solve your problems. And, uh, I've got news. Uh, it did solve a lot of our problems. (laughs) I do think where you live is important. I do think that you have to ask what you value and then try to cultivate that environment for yourself and be bold and courageous in doing so. It was hard to move our family hard to move away from some of my best friends, hard. To, it was expensive to do it. Best decision we ever made. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I'm, I'm so with you. I live in this funky little community where I actually know everybody's name and we have Saturday night dinners and uh, it's this really interesting little place. I, I, I get that completely. John, this has been fascinating. I mean, I could probably hang out and talk to you for a long time. You tell great Likewise. stories and I really, really enjoy it, but I want people to check out your book, the read it with me, the front row factor, transforming your life with the art of moment making. And where can people find you, uh, John, if they want to reach out? 
Uh, everything is at frontrowfactor.com. You can find stuff about the charity. If you wanted to nominate somebody, if you wanted to donate, if you want to get the podcast, if you want to get anything, it's all at frontrowfactor.com. We'd love to connect with you. We have a Facebook community called the Front Row Family where you can join the conversation or you can just hit me up on Twitter and just say hello or tell me what you got from the show. I'm at John Vroman, J-O-N-V-R-O-M-A-N. And um, hey, I want to tell you, this has been fantastic. And thank you. I'm it's true honor. These are all minutes and moments that we don't get back in our lives. And I'm grateful that we could share a few together today. I love that. I, I love that. And I, I, you know, and I just want to tell the listener and John reminds his guests that on the podcast. And I agree, like, you're right. Like, these are minutes and moments we don't get back. And I, I want to thank you for the work that you do for the children, you move my heart today in a really deep way, and I really appreciate that you're working with the, with kids and with dads, and you're helping to create ripple effects that will shift generational patterns, and that's so, so valuable. So thank you. Thank you so much, Don. Mm, thank you. This is wonderful. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I love what John talked about, about you know living in the moment power of hope and the power of celebration uh, just really, really moved me. So I hope it moved you as much as it moved me. If you have any questions, you can email me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com. That's mindfulmama, M-A-M-A, mentor.com. And I hope that you will subscribe to the podcast, of course, and leave a rating. And I want to thank, as well, I'm talking about it, some people for some ratings. Yay! So thank you to Miss Chrissy Kay for your five-star review. Thank you to Michelle Warren for your five-star review. And thank you so much for BMG13456, your five-star review. She, she was really wrote some lovely things saying, I've read so many parenting books and tried so hard over the last 22.2 and a half years to learn how to raise my daughter thinking it was solely based on her. How fascinating and eye-opening to realize that it's actually more about me. Amen. Yes, absolutely. So thank you so much for your kind words and the review. It really, really touches me deep in my heart. I really appreciate that. And if you would like to leave a review, it's a great way. On iTunes, we are just... We, I'd love to get to 100 reviews by 100 episodes, and we're at 82 right now. So if you are thinking of leaving a review, please, please do go do so. I would love that. I will shout you out. I'm so pleased and thankful every time you do. And I just want to, again, give you a quick reminder that my Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching Group is enrolling now. It's a six-week group coaching program, and it is at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. And if you're interested in coaching with me one-on-one, we are onto our wait list, but you can, you know, lock in 2017 prices if you register for a clarity call now and we'll get started early in 2018. So, and if you're in the future, hello, hello, future person. So cool to have you hearing me in the future <laughs> now for have us connecting in the future. So thank you so much, as always, for listening. I really appreciate it. And just continue to um, take care of yourself and come back to that pause so that you can create more peace in yourself and therefore create more peace in the world. Have a great week. Namaste.
No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 